0: Nothing is truly safe as what we've learned over the last couple of years with the WikiLeaks and all the other um, type of um, cyber um, issues out there that you can only do so much. But I really think that doesn't, it really doesn't matter how old you are, you still should have um, some basic knowledge on how to protect your client confidences, whether it's either online or offline.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network.
2: Hello, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from uh, just outside of
3: Boston, Massachusetts. Where it's probably snowing, but in sunny Southern California, it's just as warm as can be. This is Craig Williams, and it's uh, bright and sunny out here. I think I said that several times.
2: Bob, um, how's the weather out there? It's beautiful today, actually. It's gorgeous, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it could have been snowing recently.
3: <laughs> well, I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, I know you write a couple of blogs. I do. I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. And we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Clio, a web-based practice management program for lawyers at goclio.com.
2: Well, uh, thanks to smartphones, tablets, cloud computing, and apps, the legal profession is becoming uh, more mobile, uh, more global. Uh, But have the rules uh, and ethics of the legal profession kept up with the incredible pace of technology?
3: And the ABA Commission on Ethics 2020 has been studying this question for years, which in its of itself is kind of interesting because technology changes so fast. But in this new report, they've made many recommendations so that the practice of law can uh, keep up with technological advances.
2: That's right. And they're they're going to be presenting uh, these recommendations for consideration by the uh, ABA Board of Governors at its annual meeting this summer. And so uh, we thought we would... uh, talk a little bit about uh, the commission and its recommendations uh, and some of the larger issues uh, that it's addressed uh, with uh, a couple of guests who are going to help us do that. Uh, First of all, let me uh, welcome to the show uh, Professor Andrew Perlman from Suffolk University Law School in Boston. Uh, Andy Perlman is, uh, among other things, has been the chief reporter for the Commission on Ethics 2020. Uh, We'd like to uh, welcome
3: you to the show, Andy Perlman.
4: Thanks very much for having me. I'm delighted to join you.
3: And Bob, our other guest is attorney Bradley Shear Bradley is the or Brad is the founder and managing partner of the law Office of Bradley Shear in Bethesda, Maryland. He was also the first private practice attorney in the United States to work with the state government to draft social media law. That state was not surprisingly Maryland. Well welcome back to the show Brad
0: hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the invitation back to the show
2: uh, Andy. But let's just start with you. And perhaps you could just kind of give us an introduction. Uh, I, I think a lot of our people in our audience are going to be f- familiar, at least, with the idea of the 2020 Commission. But kind of give us a, an introduction to what it's been up to over the last couple of years.
4: Sure. Uh, well, the Commission was created in 2009 by uh, then-ABA President Carolyn Lamb. And what she did is she wanted to create a commission that looked at ABA policies regarding the rules that govern lawyers and and see how, if at all, they need to be updated in light of changes to technology and globalization. And so the commission was made up of a a group of lawyers, uh, judges, and academics – from lots of different settings uh, in an effort to really study those questions. And uh, we're getting near the end of our work, and we've produced a number of proposals that would result, uh, if adopted, in, in changes to a number of different rules of professional conduct
0: and related ABA policies.
3: And, uh, Brad, what do you see as uh, what the ABA is trying to do?
0: Well, I think I have to put my um, head off to the ABA and all the members of the commission because they work really hard in trying to... Um, have the new new, um, proposal be very flexible so that way technology is able to um, grow with um, the practice of law and and in my opinion I think one of the biggest areas that um, really needs to be looked at which the ABA has is um, in the attorney advertising um, area and um, I really think that that the ABA has done an excellent job in trying to figure out what's the best way of handling these issues and um, as a blogger, I think it's very important that the ABA has recognized that um, blogs and social media is a, is a very important part of um, a lawyer's um, ability to get their message out. And I, I really want to say that um, they've done an excellent job in, in, um, in saying that this is important and that lawyers should be able to blog and utilize social media to um, either talk about what they want to, want to um, discuss regarding important legal issues or to grow their practice.
2: And, and I think we should we should point out that the commission has, has addressed a, a range of issues, not just social media, but even things like outsourcing and, and uh, you know broader issues uh, raised by technology. And I I guess I assume one of the one of the first questions the commission has had to deal with or had to deal with it early on is is whether uh, whether new rules or whether changes to the rules are are even required or whether the existing uh, model rules. Are adequate to address these these new technologies, yeah. Andrew? How, how did the how did the commission come out on on that question?
4: Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great question. It's one that we looked at uh, very seriously. And at the end of the day, I, I think the best way to describe most of the commission's proposals is that they recognize the basic principles that were uh, embodied in the in the model rules of professional conduct uh didn't need to be changed uh and that what lawyers really needed was a little bit more guidance about how to apply those principles to all of the new ethics issues that are arising because of changes in technology and globalization. So if you look at the the range of the commission's proposals, most, uh, most of them really reflect that basic idea, taking the existing uh, policies and principles, but trying to give lawyers more guidance about what they mean in, in 21st century law practice. And so, uh, you know, as you mentioned... One area in which we're doing that is client development, advertising, and marketing, but there are several other areas that are up for um, uh, possible changes in August, technology uh, and confidentiality, outsourcing, and a variety of lawyer mobility issues. And I think, like I said, all of them really could be um, captured with this idea that we're really trying to offer more guidance, not really provide any revolutionary change, but really evolutionary.
3: And what is going on with respect to email? Uh, just to get into the particulars of this, because as we all know, email is not secure, um, although attorneys use email every day to advise clients, and there are no secure, uh, very few attorneys have secure emails on one end and also secure emails on the other end for the client. So what's what's the ABA's opinion on the the attorney-client privilege in email?
4: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a really interesting question. And I think you said something at the top of the show that really relates to this, and that is that the commission's work has been ongoing for the last couple of years, and technology itself can change even in that short period of time. And so the commission was very uh, cautious about trying to uh, make any proposals that were very specific to particular technology that might be different a couple of years from now, because the proposals that we're putting out there, it's unlikely that they're going to be revisited in the next few years. So we we really needed to, it, it was really kind of threading the needle. We needed to propose something that was both useful, but not so specific that it would become outdated in the near future. And so to take your particular question about email, the commission's proposals don't address email per se, but rather just to take uh, one specific proposal. The commission uh, is putting out there the idea of revising Rule 1.6, which is the lawyer's duty of confidentiality, uh, and inserting a new black letter provision that would say that lawyers need to take reasonable precautions with regard to client confidences. So then the question would come up, what does that mean for use of email? You know, should you go into Starbucks and be using the unencrypted wireless network in Starbucks to send sensitive information? The, the rule and the proposed comment don't try to address that particular question. Um, and so at, at the same time as offering that kind of more general guidance in the rules about reasonable precautions and kind of general statements about factors that lawyers need to consider, The Commission is also going to propose the creation of a website on uh, the ABA's website that would bring together a lot of information that's out there about things like security precautions when using email and and things of that sort and have kind of a one-stop shopping for answers to really basic questions about email and passwords and encryptions of hard drives So that lawyers can really find out in real time what they need to be doing, because the rules of professional conduct, they're just not nimble enough to answer questions like the one you proposed to me, that you posed to me about about email. Let me interrupt you on
3: on that for just a second, because obviously, you know, lawyers have been using emails since its advent. Sure. When you say that we should be taking reasonable precautions, that to me implies that we should be doing something more than we're doing right now because we're really not doing anything other than just simply clicking on the reply button. So what more is it that the ABA is recommending as a quote-unquote reasonable precaution?
4: Well, the uh, commission proposing that the comments be revised to identify a number of factors, such as the sensitivity of the information, the likelihood of disclosure unless additional safeguards are employed, what the cost of those additional safeguards would be, the difficulty of implementing the safeguards. So just to use email, let's say you're going to email something very sensitive to a client uh, that if it got out, it could be very uh, disastrous. I think if you look at those factors, it would be reasonable to conclude that you shouldn't be sitting in Starbucks and sending that over an unencrypted network. Now, would you uh, be disciplined if you did that? I think that's a little hard to say. I think it's probably a, a stronger argument that you might be subject to some kind of malpractice claim. Um, but the idea is to make lawyers more sensitive to these issues, but without dictating any specific precautions that lawyers need to take. Because, like I said, if we said that right now you need to do X, extra- X, Y, or Z with regard to email, and put it in the rules, that's going to be outdated in two or three years. So I think it's really important that the commission took this two-step approach. One is to offer the more general guidance in the rules, and then secondly, offer on this website the more more particular answer to the question that you're posing.
2: Bradley, I want to ask you, uh, I know that there have been points during the work of the Commission uh, that that there's been some controversy about it and some concern about uh, from members of the bar that the Commission uh, could be uh, uh, perhaps trying to reach uh, a little bit too deeply into uh, regulating what uh, lawyers are doing in terms of marketing online and and practicing online uh, it, are, is there is there are there any red flags that you see in this report, or, or what's your overall impression of the of the recommendations that have come out of the committee?
4: Yeah, we heard some of those concerns early on as well, and, and I think they turned out to be unfounded. I think the commission's approach in this area is very much along the lines of what I described earlier. That is trying to offer more guidance regarding how to use technology to market your law practice. Uh, there, none of the proposers are saying you, you can't use the internet or you can't use. Uh, uh web-based ads or pay-per-click advertisements none of that is going to be prohibited the the commission's proposals are really designed to help lawyers understand what some of the ethics issues are and and what kinds of precautions they need to take to ensure that their marketing is is truthful and, and not misleading and and consistent with the basic principles that that aren't changing
0: well, well I want to want to say that what you just hit on um about being truthful and not misleading I think that the, the commission has done a very good job, but unfortunately there are um, social media consultants out there that are actually being very misleading with their marketing and they're targeting lawyers. And my biggest fear is that um, some of these um, social media consultants with what they're advising lawyers to do and or by their own actions, um, in my opinion, it's very unethical what some of these people are doing and how they're advising some lawyers. And I, I know that it's been around on the net um Quite a few people have said something along the lines, if you outsource your um, social media, you also outsource your ethics. And so I really think that um, lawyers really need to um, be aware of some of these issues. But um, in general, I think that the commission has done a good job in trying to make things as um, flexible as possible Um, because in the beginning, I know that there were some concerns a year, year and a half ago or so with some of the initial um, proposals out there with um, some people may have been misinterpreting how the, um, the commission was moving, but I think they've created something that is more of a living and breathing document that provides lawyers the flexibility to say, hey, look, they can utilize social media and they can utilize it in a manner that um, allows them to not only um, promote um, certain ideas on law and public policy, but also to promote the practices. So um, at this point, from everything that I've seen, I think that um, the ABA has created a, um, a framework that I think is... Um, is will be very um, positive for the legal community for the future of um, practice of law.
2: We can we can throw a hat tip to Eric Turkowitz. I think he was the source of that uh, that uh, original statement of If you outsource, uh, if you outsource your social media, you outsource your ethics. Uh, great, uh, a great uh, comment.
3: Andy, what if you? Uh, what other types of things and specifics have the you know rather than the generalities? What are the kinds of specifics has the ABA chosen to target other than social media and email?
4: Uh so um outside of the advertising context so think right. uh, uniformity issues and what i mean by that is um some mobility issues for lawyers so i'll give i'll give you a couple examples of some proposals one is there is a model rule on admission by motion so when a lawyer is licensed in one jurisdiction say Massachusetts and is is looking to get licensed in another jurisdiction uh it's a process by which you can get it licensed in the other jurisdiction without having to sit for that bar exam. Uh, and re- currently the the rule says that you have to have been practicing for five of the last seven years. Uh, and what the commission found is that that, that requirement is, is too rigorous. It doesn't need to be that long a period of time, that even after a few years of practice lawyers should be allowed to move. And so there's a proposal to change the admission by motion rule to allow lawyers to move after three years instead of five years. Uh, Another proposal uh, relates to conflicts detection, and and this also arises out of the increasing mobility of the legal profession as as lawyers are moving from job to job. A law firm that's looking to hire a particular lawyer is going to be concerned about potential conflicts of interest that that lawyer is going to be bringing to the law firm. Uh, But currently, there's very little guidance about what that lawyer can actually say to that potential new law firm that the lawyer is considering going to in order to allow that that law firm to conduct a, a conflicts check Uh, Nothing in the rules as they're currently written makes clear that lawyers can disclose any information, but yet everyone kind of recognizes there needs to be a little bit of disclosure in order to ensure that no conflicts arise if the the lawyer takes that new job. And so the uh, proposal that's coming out of the commission is is designed to give lawyers and law firms more guidance about the limited categories of information that lawyers can disclose when uh, moving from one job to another. So it's an issue that comes up with great frequency, and we hope that it's it's going to provide a lot more guidance than currently exists.
2: We need to take a very short break. We'll be back in just a few moments to talk more about the ABA uh, Ethics 2020 Commission with uh, Andy and Brad.
5: Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, President of CLIO. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing? We're starting to see
3: the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing, and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third-party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your
1: confidential client data.
5: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio, Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you.
1: And if you'd like to get more information on Cleo, feel free to visit
3: www.goclio.com. That's G O C L I O.com.
5: It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegaltalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestlegaledCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
1: That's perfect. The office can wait. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com.
3: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Our discussion today centers on the latest recommendations of the ABA's Commission on Ethics 2020. Our guests are Bradley Shear and Andy Perlman. Let's continue the conversation. So, obviously, we've approached a more electronic style of a legal office for lawyers. What kind of considerations play into that, uh, Brad?
0: Well, I think um, because more people are utilizing electronic communications um, for their everyday needs, um, as a lawyer, you have to be very cognizant um, to make sure that you have everything as secure as possible. You want to make sure, as a lawyer, I, and I really try to... Um, Uh, make sure that my uh, antivirus software is updated on a regular basis. Um, I have policies in place so that way, um, for example, my engagement letter discusses how I might be able to um, interact with the client, whether it's by email. Um, I also discuss text messaging and some other types of um, digital communications. Um, So, I mean, it's just a matter of trying to keep up with the times and saying to um, everyone in your office that, hey, look, um, we're utilizing technology, but we also need to have the right um, um, policies in place, and we also have to ensure that our clients understand these policies because, um, in my at least in my practice, I receive more communication from clients via email than I do on the phone. People seem to really be more interested in communicating via one or two lines of email versus spending um, 5, 10, 15 minutes on the phone, so I just think it's... A matter of having the right policies in place and abiding by them, and making sure that everyone understands what the um, what the rules are of the road are in your practice.
2: That raises for me something. I think one of the most interesting things to me that I found in the 2020 uh, the various reports. These are all up on the ABA uh, website. Uh, you can find all of their reports there. But uh, uh, one of the recommendations, uh, Andy, and you can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but is a is a recommendation to Uh, amend, uh, to revise the comment with respect to uh, the the duty of competence of a lawyer to say that a a lawyer need be competent not only in in law and practice, but also in in technology. Is that right?
4: Yeah. So there, um, Rule 1.1 describes a lawyer's duty of competence, and there are a variety of comments that come after it. Uh, and one of those comments is that lawyers, in order to remain competent, need to be aware of changes in law and law practice. And so the commission is proposing an additional phrase in that comment that would say that what's included in that idea of Staying abreast of changes in law practice is also remaining aware of the risks and and benefits associated with relevant technology. And so, uh, what kind of surprised the Commission as as it looked at the model rules is there's not a single reference to technology anywhere in the model rules of professional conduct. And and we concluded really in this day and age it's very hard for a lawyer to have his or her head in the sand regarding all aspects of technology and and provide clients with the kind of competent services that they expect and demand. And so this phrase in a a comment is really designed to highlight for lawyers that uh, in a 21st century legal marketplace, they really need to stay aware of uh, of relevant technology and how it can benefit clients and, and some of the risks associated with using that technology.
3: What about working on your laptop either on a plane or uh, in a public environment? Should you be getting those uh, lenticular screens that limit views from the side?
4: I guess it depends on what you're working on. Uh, you know, I think as a matter of best practices, if you're working on sensitive documents, I think it's a really good idea. But that's another one of those things that I think would be a, a great point for this website that I was describing. It's not something that would be uh, useful to put in a comment to a model rule, but I do think it is something that kind of guidance. That lawyers are seeking that would be a, a, great, um, a great thought to put up uh, in that kind of environment in a website that could be constantly updated in light of changes and security concerns.
3: And, Brad, what kind of duty do, client, do attorneys have to keep up on all of these technological changes and advances and, and deal with the issues that arise from them? I mean, are the lawyers that are you know, over 50, 60, 70 years old in a little bit of trouble here?
0: Well, I think you have a reasonable duty of care. Um, In my opinion, I think if you're going to be practicing law, it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're 25 years old just at a law school, whether you're 75 years old and you've been practicing for 50 years, I think um, you really do have a duty to keep up with the times. And I know that uh, most states have some type of CLE requirement. Uh, Maryland is one of, I think, maybe one or two states that don't have a CLE requirement. But I really think that... um, there there may be a uh, maybe a good idea for um states to start saying well wait a minute maybe there's some kind of technology competency or requirement that lawyers should have because all of us are using the technology but i think there's a lack of education and an understanding on um some of the um ethical issues involved with utilizing the, te- the technology and trying to create a um a safe environment so that way other people can't access your content but then again um, nothing is truly safe is what we've learned over the last couple of years with the WikiLeaks and all the other um, type of um, cyber um, issues out there that you can only do so much. But I really think that doesn't. it really doesn't matter how old you are. You still should have um, some basic knowledge on how to protect your client confidences, whether it's either online or offline.
2: And I, I assume that it's fair to say that the, part of the... Uh... Part of this is knowing what you don't know I, I, with regard to technology. I mean, it, I, I've been looking at some of the state opinions that have come up on, on cloud computing for lawyers, and, and they talk a lot about the kinds of uh, uh, vetting uh, an attorney should do of a cloud provider uh, in terms of how, you know what that provider does in terms of security and and, and backup and, and those sorts of things. And and I assume uh, it, it's appropriate for a lawyer to say, look, I, I'm not sure I get this, but I know what I don't know, and I, I can get a consultant in or I can turn the kind of, you know, ABA website that Andy's been talking about. I mean, I guess part of this is knowing what you don't know as well as knowing what you should know.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a great point, and one of the things uh, this is another uh, re- related website that the commission is proposing um, that would uh, provide some resources on outsourcing. So when you're basically when you're using cloud computing, in many ways you're outsourcing a portion of this work that was typically brought uh, in house and that was done within a law office. And so uh, one um, one idea that's already out there is the um, the concept of providing. Uh, guidance as to what organizations are abiding by certain standards for security Uh, and that wouldn't necessarily be provided by the ABA. There are separate entities that are out there that are providing these kinds of standards and one thing that would be very helpful for lawyers is if there is kind of this well-established set of standards and all lawyers would need to know is whether a particular cloud computing service complies with those security standards, then the lawyers don't have to go and independently verify that a particular entity is is abiding by Certain security procedures, so uh, that's already in place, and that's that's evolving. We think that could be very helpful.
3: And what do you recommend that we do about the lawyers who have their email monitored by the secretary, print it out, read it, and then dictate a response to the secretary? And I don't mean it in the sense of just you know that particular situation, but that mentality of a lawyer who just has no interest in technology because some of us don't. I mean, yeah, I do, but
4: right. And I and I don't think that anything the commission is proposing is is uh, suggesting that lawyers have to use technology at every turn. Uh it's it's really just a matter of of having an understanding of the basic relevant technology to your practice. So, if you want to dictate things to your secretary, you know, that's not unethical. But um you know at some point if you you start writing briefs entirely by hand uh and, and you and you, you typewrite it uh, and have to make all sorts of corrections and you're billing clients for all that time, uh, You know, at some point you've got to scratch your head and say, boy, you know, there's, there's technology out there you might want to be considering, and if you're not using it, it's a little bit unethical to be charging your client for all that time that you're spending. So I think we're looking at that level. Nobody is, is trying to suggest that lawyer, all lawyers out there need to be held to some very high standard of using technology. It's really just an, the idea of making lawyers more aware that they should just keep abreast of technology how it can benefit their clients and what some of the risks
0: are.
3: And, and that's an interesting question because, you know, for the Luddites out there uh, who just don't do anything, is it really unethical for someone who has who choose technology to simply write a brief by hand and then have it typewritten? I mean, it was done at some point in time, it was done that way, and it was considered to be appropriate.
0: Sure. I, I see I see nothing wrong with having a lawyer if they've been doing the um, doing their briefs a certain way for years and years and it's been successful, they have successful outcomes, I see nothing wrong with that. I mean, if if a if a lawyer is utilizing um, other technologies in certain ways that have been beneficial to them, that in the past were very successful, and they're going to be successful in the future, I don't I don't think I think the ABA should um, stay off of, of um, trying to regulate that aspect because as long as a lawyer is acting ethical, um, how he gets his or her work done is, is is in my opinion immaterial whether or not there's a better technology out there. Um, I don't think that is something that um, either the state bar associations or the ABA should really try to penalize a lawyer for doing their work and the manner that's most efficient um, for them to take care of their uh, business.
4: Yeah, and I I should uh, make sure that I'm clear about that. I wasn't suggesting that a lawyer should be disciplined for writing out a brief by hand. I should be absolutely clear about that. And nothing the commission is proposing is is suggesting something uh, along those lines. But when we're thinking about what lawyers should be doing when thinking about using relevant technology – um, if you're writing out your brief by hand, and then and my, my example was typing it up yourself uh, on a typewriter, not using a computer, I think it is taking more time than it would take if you use technology. And I think this comment is really designed to kind of say to lawyers, you know what, you need to think about these things. Not intended to be a source of discipline, but something that lawyers really need to think about in terms of what's really in their clients' interests. So ju- just to emphasize, not a disciplinary issue that I'm, I was describing.
2: Yeah, one issue I don't see addressed in this in these final recommendations uh, in in much well in in any way that really changes anything is the sort of question of multi-jurisdictional practice. It and I I, I I'm I'm somebody who. It certainly believes that this idea of state bar admission is is becoming outmoded at least for certain areas of practice I mean you look at somebody like Bradley here who, who does areas of social media law and intellectual property that uh, clearly are are, are universal uh, throughout the United States in terms of his his knowledge and applicability and I mean did the commission look at all of this question of whether it continues to make sense to have bar admission be a state-specific thing
4: yeah we did look at that issue and um, we concluded based that the current current framework of the model rules, and in particular 5.5, is largely uh, capable of dealing with the increasing mobility uh, and lawyers moving from one state to another on a temporary basis. We thought that the admission rules need to be uh, loosened up a bit, and that's why the proposal on admission by motion is out there. Um, One issue that uh, the commission is still struggling with and has put off a proposal until next February uh, is this question of virtual law practice and the increasing use of uh, virtual law offices to practice? And when a lawyer is providing virtual legal services in another jurisdiction, at what point does the person need to become licensed to practice law there? So that, that's kind of an open question that the commission is still struggling with. But so if I think you're selling
2: legal documents through a virtual website, uh, that's not addressed here?
4: The, exactly. And that's something that the commission is still working on, and in effect, is going to be releasing um, a paper on that subject either today or tomorrow. Oh. Um, and we're going to be looking for more. You heard it here, it. Folks, and folks. There you folks. go. Breaking news.
3: <laughs> And what about, what about a federal bar? Has there been any movement toward establishing one bar exam for the t- entire country, perhaps to deal with uh, federal law and issues like Brad deals with, uh, the more universal ones, like yeah. social media?
4: Yeah, in fact, there is. It's not something that's coming out of the ABA, but there is a movement towards something called the Uniform Bar Exam, or the UBE, uh, and there are many components to it, but they're all largely in place in most states. There's the multi-state bar exam, the multi-state essay exam, and so there's an effort to bring that together and to have kind of a unified approach to taking a bar exam so that if you sit for the bar exam in Missouri it's it's the same bar exam that you'd take if you sat in Oklahoma and that the score that you get in Missouri could could be transferred from one state to another. So if you sat in Missouri, you passed that bar exam and you got a particular score, and then a couple of years later you want to move to Oklahoma, that score could be used to help you gain admission there. So I think that might facilitate uh, movement, and and when joined with the commission's proposal on admission by motion, can really help to free up movement of lawyers from one jurisdiction to another without necessarily creating a federal bar. Uh, It can still remain state-based.
3: Well, and the standardization of that would be fantastic, you know, for one that has taken two bars, uh, the Iowa bar and the California bar. I was surprised at how much harder the uh, Iowa bar was than the California bar, and it would be really nice to see uh, a standardized test throughout the country to make sure that we all have minimum qualifications as lawyers. Not to say that California lawyers aren't, you know, fall below it, but it's just interesting that some that there's such a difficulty disparity between the uh, test level between the various states.
4: Yeah, there can be a lot, and this would, and the UBE would allow states to kind of make a judgment call if they want a higher score or a lower score. They can set that themselves, but still have the same baseline test materials uh so that it would uh, allow lawyers a little bit more flexibility earlier on in their careers before they can take advantage of admission by motion and a related point since you mentioned California uh you know California still doesn't allow admission by motion still requires out of state lawyers to sit at least for an attorney's exam and the Commission is proposing that the ABA adopt a resolution encouraging states that haven't adopted admission by motion procedure to do so, so that, that you know, places like California don't unnecessarily inhibit uh, a lawyer's ability to move from one jurisdiction to another.
3: Well, the one consideration that plays into that, having uh, participating as a California lawyer myself, uh, California, unlike most other states. Uh, allows unaccredited ABA, unaccredited law school students to take the bar exam. And, uh, the pass rate as a consequence is in the 25% range where the pass rate in other States is in the 75% range. And, uh, I think a lot of other States are not interested in having reciprocity with California because of the unaccredited situation.
2: Well, we need, we need to wrap up, but uh, we are out of time and we are getting the, uh, we're getting the signal from our producers here that we need to, we need to close this uh, out pretty quickly. So, uh, I'd love to talk more about this, and maybe we can revisit again as as it gets closer to the uh, meeting in August. But uh, I did want to give each of you an opportunity to kind of quickly give your your closing thought on this issue. And also, uh, if you would let our listeners know uh, how they can follow up with you, uh, if they'd like to do that. Either you want to point them to a website or phone number or email, whatever you're comfortable with. But uh, let's, let's get your final thoughts. And, Brad, let's start with you.
0: Sure. I think my final thought is that um, – we're living in an age where social media and all sorts of other digital technologies are moving so fast, and I think it's very helpful that the um, ABA is moving towards creating some type of framework. And as long as the ABA doesn't hinder the um, practice of law through um, their um, new rules and regulations, I think it's a very positive thing to offer more guidance. And for your listeners who want to reach out to me, I can be reached either at 301 652 3600 or you can check me out at uh, Sheerlaw.com or my blog, sheersocialmedia.com.
2: Thanks so much. And Andy?
4: Uh, so the thumbnail is that the Commission on Ethics 2020 has a bunch of proposals relating to globalization and technology. They're going to be up for a vote in August. You can find their proposals uh, on the Commission's website. If you type in ethics. 20 slash 20 in google you'll come right to the website and if anyone wants to reach out to me you can do so by sending me an email at aperlman a-p-e-r-l-m-a-n at suffolk s-u-f-f-o-l-k dot edu thanks for having
2: me any quick thumbs up or thumbs down predictions on what the house of delegates will do with the summer
4: uh well i guess (laughs) i can say i'm very hopeful that uh this all of the proposals will get adopted but you know it's very hard to predict
2: Great. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate both of you taking the time to be with us today. Really interesting discussion and uh, great reading on the ABA website. Uh, these, these materials are really worth everybody reading and going through. Great. Right. Thanks very thanks, much thanks for, having, for me. having
3: me. Well, Bob, do we have time to uh, get your thoughts about it? I think you know mine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't read email on a plane. Yeah,
2: no, I well, I I, I would encourage people. I have read uh, a number of the uh, I've read through I think all of the recommendations that they have posted up on the website. There's really really instructive stuff there. Uh whatever you think of the, some of the proposals, uh there's some great commentary that poses some really interesting questions about uh some of the situations that we uh, address uh, that we uh, encounter every day now in our practices. Uh and uh really I think the commission really deserves to be committed for a, a really thoughtful uh, series of reports for really going through an in-depth uh, process of considering uh, these issues uh, and for really coming up with some uh, some, uh, some uh, useful uh, proposals uh, in terms of the model rules and the comments to the model rules.
3: Yeah, a worthwhile read and also a worthwhile, very worthwhile effort. Uh, The ABA has done a fantastic job in trying to give us some uh, general guidance rather than some specific things to do because it changes so quickly. So it's a very good effort. And... uh, there to be commended for their work. Well, we need to wrap it up and remind our listeners that they can now get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. You can go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes. And we have an Android app where you can access all Legal Talk Network shows on your phone. And we hope to have an iPhone app out shortly. Check it out. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com. And, Bob, we'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. We'll talk to you then, Craig. See you then. Take care.
1: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. It's officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.